Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome all of our campuses as well as our online viewers. We're glad that you guys are with us as well. Uh, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. And today I want to preach a simple message to you titled this. It's personal. It's personal. A relationship with Christ should be personal to you. And so what I want to do today is just challenge us to think about who Jesus is to you. Who Jesus is to you. Not just theoretically, but personally. In fact, let's put it this way. On the screen, you need to figure out who Jesus is to you. You need to figure out who Jesus is to you. There, you know, there's a lot of people who honestly have not really thought too much about that. Uh, some people think that Jesus is just this historical figure that existed long ago. Uh, maybe someone to look up to that has done a lot of good that we can learn some principles from. But who is Jesus really? And what difference, if any, does it make for your life in this world? Uh, what we're going to see in our passage this morning is a Jesus who calls us into a personal, devoted, all-out relationship with him. Uh, we're going to see Jesus invite us to see him, not just as a, a historical figure, but someone who can literally transform your life, uh, no matter what your past. You might have a very messy past, as you'll see in some of these people that we're going to look at today, but God has some hope for you. Amen, church? So we're just going to look at a few verses this morning, uh, but they're going to be jam-packed with so much content and information. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, or you can follow along on the screen. We're going to start looking at verse 8, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Let me give you a little context of what's happening here in Luke chapter 12. Uh, Jesus is specifically speaking to his disciples, but there's thousands of other people crammed around them. Uh, some of whom are the religious leaders of the day, known as the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, the, the lawyers of the legalism that existed in Judaism. And so there's all these people around, and Jesus warns his disciples to not be like those hypocrites about the religious leaders. Don't be like them. In fact, in chapter 11, he's just pronounced, if you go back to chapter 11, he's just pronounced these six judgments, or what he calls woes, to them about their hypocrisy. And he calls them whitewashed tombs or unmarked graves. In other words, they look good on the outside, but in the inside, they are rotten to the core. And in the middle of this large crowd, Jesus is urging these disciples, which simply means students, to learn the most valuable lesson that you could ever learn in your life. And that is life is all about Jesus and your commitment to him. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before men. So here's the question. What does it mean to acknowledge Jesus? What does it mean to acknowledge Jesus? Well, first, it's it's recognizing that in life there's really only two choices. Either you acknowledge Jesus, confess Jesus, or you deny Jesus. There's no middle ground. As I've heard it said before, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Think about that. Do you believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ to the degree that what you believe internally will be displayed and expressed publicly? Do you believe it to that degree? Church, don't miss the command of this verse. 
He says, anyone who acknowledges me before men, before the world. That's what we're talking about here. At some point, what you believe in your head really needs to show up in your life. At some point, the grace that has been shown to you needs to be extended and expressed to other people. At some point, the grace that's been shown to you that God literally raised your life from the dead and he's forgiving you of a shameful past, at some point, that's got to come out. And you got to live it out so that other people can see it. At some point, we need to stop shying away from having spiritual conversations with people all, all at the fear of being labeled this fanatic for Jesus, right? Now, obviously, no one's going to be perfect with this, but I think what Jesus is doing here is linking what we claim to believe with our lips to how we live our lives. He's trying to link what we claim to believe doctrinally to how we're actually living it out personally, if that's what we truly believe internally, then we need to acknowledge him publicly, right? When you, when you really have a relationship with Jesus, no one really needs to tell you to tell other people about Jesus, do they? One of our values, these are our core values and our sanctuary at all of our locations. Uh, to my life, I think it, to my left, I think it's this, the case uh, at the other campuses as well, but one of our core values is found people, find people. Found people, find people, meaning when you've experienced the greatest news in the history of the world, the natural response to that news is to tell other people about it. And no one needs to urge you to do it, pry you to do it, poke you to do it. You just want to naturally do it. There's some stories that are worth sharing, and the way the gospel has changed your life, that story never gets old. Amen, church? It should never, ever get old. Acknowledging Jesus also means that not everyone is going to be as excited about Jesus as you are. In fact, it's probably the opposite. And the reason why they'll get angry about follow, you following Jesus is because when you acknowledge Jesus, it's not just that you're acknowledging Jesus as a historical figure. It's that you're acknowledging Jesus as a whole. Everything that he stood for and everything that he taught. And so when you acknowledge and confess Jesus, you're confessing all of his teachings. Teachings about human sexuality. You got to go with Jesus on that, Right? Uh, his exclusive claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven but through him. Does that mean other religions are wrong? Yes. I'm going to go with Jesus on that one. It means that what he teaches about a literal heaven and a hell, you acknowledge. And you know what? When you get excited about that, not everyone's going to be as excited as you are. Not everybody's going to share your Facebook posts. <laughs> In fact, they might create a post about you, about your beliefs about Jesus. Not everybody's going to throw a parade for you. And I just want to acknowledge at the outset of this message, we need to be ready for that. Listen, when you start following Jesus, your views will offend. And the reason why your views will offend, because your views are now Jesus's views. And let's not also forget that the people that Jesus is speaking to in this passage is the disciples, these very men who, because of their beliefs about Jesus, were going to be persecuted. They were going to be martyred. They were going to be tortured because of their beliefs. And yet, they could not stop talking about Jesus. You couldn't shut them up. And their refusal to stop talking about Jesus actually cost them dearly in the end. Now, this doesn't mean, church, that the application from this message today is that you go to your school, kids, 
Or you go to your workplace with a megaphone tomorrow and say, I believe in Jesus, and if you don't, tough luck, you're going to hell. There's got to be a better strategy than that, right? Let's acknowledge that part. But I think we need to also acknowledge the fact that when we're serious about building relationships with other people who don't know Jesus, and when we're serious about living out our faith before men, there will come a point in time where you're able to share the gospel with them, and other people might not be excited about it, and it might cost you dearly. In fact, I, uh, this past week I heard about a story of an Alliance pastor who years ago was going for his doctorate. And it was at a university here in New York, a secular university, and he was before the doctoral board being asked certain questions. One of the questions that was asked about his view on abortion, and uh, obviously one of the people on the doctoral board uh, advocated for abortion, and she then asked what his view was, and he just affirmed what Jesus said, that the sanctity of life, that, you know, that all men and women are created in the image of God, they have value, including babies who are unborn because God knit them together in their mother's womb. She didn't like that answer. She didn't like the answer to the view that Jesus gives, and he was denied. He was denied from the doctoral board. He had to go somewhere else to get his doctorate. It cost him. It costs him in a very real way. Uh, the other thing, though, I think that gets missed in this passage is the fact that, that Jesus has given us a promise here that far outweighs any discomfort that we can experience when we actually take our faith seriously. He says, the Son of Man will also acknowledge me before the angels of God. This is a statement about judgment. This is a picture of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 where he separates the sheep and the goat. You remember that passage if you read the New Testament? So he's making some judgments here. And he's simply saying this. I know we don't think enough about eternity, but when we live a life that publicly acknowledges Jesus before men, when we do that now, we don't have to worry about judgment then. And so these words of Jesus really serve as a reminder to draw our attention to, to this fact. At the end of your life, you will stand before God. And at that point, it will be clear whether your faith was personal to you. So some of you might be wondering right now, am I really living for God? Maybe in your heart and your conscience, you know whether or not you're living for God. You're, you're displaying, acknowledging, confessing Jesus, not just with your lips, but your life. You might be wondering that now, but I guarantee there will be a day where it will be clear as day whether or not you lived personally for Jesus. That's a startling reminder, isn't it, church? It's a startling reminder about the urgency behind Jesus' words not to become like the hypocrites, like the Pharisees who rejected the truth of Jesus. Crosstown, when our culture becomes increasingly hostile to Christian worldviews or beliefs, let us stand uncompromisingly to what Jesus has proclaimed in his word. When our, our culture becomes so hostile to what Jesus stood for and what Jesus is about and what Jesus is for, let us stand on the word of God and nowhere else. Let us remember that in light of eternity, the troubles that we experience as a result of living for Christ are but what Paul says, a light and momentary trouble. I don't know about you. You might face more pressures than I do in your own workplace, in your own life. 
But when I'm pressured to compromise and when you're pressured to compromise, wouldn't you rather be rejected by men and accepted by your Father in heaven? I would. Now, that's only the first two verses. I told you there's so much jammed in here. But I want to look at one more verse that is so full of truth and so full of grace. Verse 10, it says this. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, which is another term for Jesus, will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So first things first. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. One of the greatest promises in all of Scripture is that Jesus promises to forgive the guilty. Isn't that great? You know why I think that's great? Because I'm guilty. I don't think you guys get it here in Greece. I hope you guys got it over there. But that is a super promise. That you are guilty. You spoke a word against Jesus. You lived a life against Jesus. But he forgave you. So that's good news. But the other thing that this verse seems to be pointing to is that there seems to be a sin that is unforgivable. Jesus uses this phrase, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Um, The word blasphemy simply means to speak against or to speak wrongly about or to resist, uh, oppose, or deny. Uh, These Pharisees that that Jesus warns the disciples about did exactly that. Uh, Not only did they speak against Jesus, but they spoke wrongly about what Jesus did. As you'll read later in the chapter, they were attributing his work of miracles and healing to the power of the prince of demons, Beelzebub. These Pharisees stood in staunch opposition to Jesus. And guess what? So did you. And so did I. Before Christ came into our lives, that was all of our stories. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all stood in opposition. We've all denied him. We've all resisted him. We've all spoke wrongly against him. That was our story. Now, with that said, the kind of blasphemy that Jesus is referring to is not speaking against, resisting, denying, opposing, speaking wrongly about Jesus. The type of blasphemy that he's specifically warning us about is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's a sin against the Holy Spirit that he warns us about. So that begs the question. This is a question that I'm sure everyone in here has probably wondered at some point in their life if they've read this verse before. But is, is there a sin that is not forgivable? Well, there is a short answer to this. What fun would that be? That would just make for a, a short sermon. We get out of here, enjoy the weather. You guys don't want to do that, do you? So I'm going to give you the long answer. I'm going to share with you two stories of two Christians in the New Testament that you need to know about. It's the story of Stephen and and Saul. And uh, their story is found in the other book that Luke writes, the book of Acts. And I'm going to give you a little context where we're jumping into this story. Uh, Stephen, who loves Jesus with all of his heart, is in the middle of this sermon in Acts chapter 7, if you want to call it that. He's given this very lengthy speech. He basically goes through the entire Old Testament, which is pretty impressive, and he shows how these Pharisees, scribes, these religious people that he was referring to and talking to, he, Stephen shows how their ancestors were constantly opposing God. Over and over again, they were denying him, opposing him, resisting him, even though God had sown so, so much grace to them. 
So he's just letting his, their ancestors have it. When all of a sudden, at the end of his speech, things turn on a dime, and he points his finger at them. And he starts criticizing their faith and their views. Look what he says in Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Does that sound familiar? This is exactly what Jesus says to the Pharisees and scribes of his day when he pronounces those six woes or six judgments in Luke chapter 11. And when at the beginning of the chapter of 12, he warns the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It's the same stuff. And uh, they were resisting. They were opposing. They were speaking against the Holy Spirit. And so Stephen calls them stiff-necked. He calls them uncircumcised, which, by the way, is not a compliment. It's not a compliment. So what do you think the response is to this? Let's see what it is. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at them. Right? But he, who's he? Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. So notice the contrast here. You stiff-necked uncircumcised people. You constantly resist the Holy Spirit, but the one speaking is full of the Holy Spirit. And he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Next verse. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. So here's Stephen presenting truth to them. The the truth of who Jesus was and what was their reaction. Don't want to hear it. I'm going to resist it, oppose it, deny it. Don't want to hear it. And they rushed together at him. They, They then cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Stephen dies as the very first Christian martyr. Why? Why? Because he acknowledged Jesus. When you looked at Stephen's life, church, you didn't have to wonder whether or not he was for Jesus or not. When you looked at his life, when you saw his faith, there was no debate whether or not his faith was personal to him. That's Stephen's story. And it's through Stephen's story that we're introduced in a very dramatic way to this young man named Saul. You might better know him as the Apostle Paul. Only this time in history... In Acts 7, he's not planting churches and preaching the gospel all around the Mediterranean rim. You know what he's doing? He's killing Christians. We read a story in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, approached Damascus. It's the road to Damascus, if you're familiar with the story. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why? Are you persecuting me? Who's speaking to him? Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. 
And Jesus says to him, Saul, what you did to them, you did to me. When you're persecuting Christians, what you're really doing is persecuting me. What happens immediately after this scene is that the Lord appears in a vision to a guy named a Christian named Ananias. And Ananias is told by Jesus to go to a place called Straight Street and to go see this guy named Saul. And you know what Ananias' response was? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Lord, I don't know if you heard around here, but this guy's killing Christians and you're trying to send me to, to him? And Jesus, I guess in so many words, said, is it going to be okay? Just go and obey me. And we read this in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says, and immediately, I love this part, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. This is the same guy who was a part of that group that Stephen was preaching to, and then he criticized their ancestors and looked at them and said, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised people, you're resist." He was in that group, same guy that was in that group, that resisted the Holy Spirit is now being filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. Is our God not good? He can turn anyone around. The scriptures say that, like, scales, scales fell from his eyes. Listen, church, before Christ came into our lives, that's our story. You and I were blind. We were once blind, but now we see. We see who God is, but we also, through that process, saw who we are as sinners. And God totally transformed our life. And that's Paul's story as well. What's the outcome of Paul's story? He was was baptized. Praise God today. Today. At, three, at two of our campuses, uh, last week, Wellsville had baptisms. But we, we get to celebrate new life in Christ. People going public with their faith through baptism. Church, that never gets old. I don't know about you, but I, that never gets old. Over the course of the past 10 years, we have seen over 350 people be baptized before the Lord. I'm, I'm thinking, like, that's a good strategy. Let's just keep going with that. Let's keep preaching the gospel. Let's give opportunities to respond in obedience to what Christ has called us to do through his word, one of which is believe and be baptized. We get the joy of celebrating that today. But back to our question, though, from earlier. The question, remember, was this. Is there a sin that is not forgivable? Is there a sin that's not forgivable? So the short answer, the technical answer is what? It's yes. But through Christ, the answer is no. So it's yes and no. Can I explain? There's a really interesting, it's kind of like a parallel passage in uh, the book of Mark, Mark's gospel, where you'll read very similar words. Verse 28 says this, truly, this is Jesus saying, to his disciples, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. Look, look at how definitive this statement is. All sins will be forgiven. All sins will be forgiven. And then it says in the very next verse, 
But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So which one is it? Is it, is it an unforgivable sin to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Yep. Was Paul not in the same group of people who resisted, was opposed, denied, spoke against, wrongly about Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Yep. So how do you reconcile these two stories? Well, you do so by understanding the nature of what Jesus is referring to when he talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the, it's not the one and done like in the past. You had a moment in your life where someone exposed you to the truth of the gospel. You didn't want to have anything to do with it. You're, you, you, you blew that chance. Now the rest of your life you have to wonder and worry about if you denied the Holy Spirit and you're going to go to hell. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about when he says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the ongoing, continual hardening of your heart where you've been exposed to the truth. You know it by looking out to nature as well as in your conscience through also the revealed word of God and you've said no continuously to him. And the reason why, just by its very nature, a rejection to the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is because you've rejected the truth of who Jesus is as revealed through the Holy Spirit through his word. And if you reject the Holy Spirit as revealed in the testimony of Jesus through God's word, there is no forgiveness to be had. If I can put it simply like this, the, the reason why this sin is unforgivable is it prevents you from knowing Christ. And if you don't know Christ, there is no salvation. And the only way you can know Christ is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit revealed to you through God's word. And if you reject Jesus at the end of your life, you would have rejected the very testimony of the Holy Spirit seen in God's word. And there is no forgiveness. Does that make sense? As Paul, or Saul himself, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one says Jesus is Lord Except the Holy Spirit. But isn't this the same guy who essentially did say both in word and deed, Jesus is accursed? Yep. And yet, it's the same guy, church, that Jesus revealed himself to and the light of heaven struck him down and brought him to his knees so that he could experience the forgiveness of Jesus. God is a really really gracious God. You know what that tells me? It tells me no one is far, too far gone. No one is too far gone. The grace of Jesus is a well that does not run dry for those of you who want forgiveness and cry out to him in salvation. And Jesus says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. It reminded me of a passage in Romans chapter 5 where Paul says this. He says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Were you righteous? You good? But God. 
while we stood opposed to him, resisted him, denied him, denied the very testimony of who Jesus was even before we met Christ. You know what he did? He loved us when we least expected it and least deserved it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That anyone would believe would have eternal life and not perish. That is our good and gracious God. Thank God for all of us that if we ever spoke or ever speak a word against the Son of Man, we could be forgiven. Thank God for that because if that wasn't the case, we'd all be eternally condemned. Do you know that? By the way, Jesus isn't just making this claim. He's actually living this out. If you know Jesus' story in the, the Gospels, he's not only making this claim, he's, he's been in a situation where he's, a, he's extended forgiveness to those who have denied him. Remember the story of Peter? The apostle Peter, I, I want to look at, Peter followed Jesus, loved Jesus, dined with Jesus, was committed to Jesus for three years of his life. Uh, Peter was the one that would often stick his foot in his mouth, was the one that would often speak first, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Some of you know that very personally, right? Uh, It worked out very well for him one day where when Jesus was still on this earth, Peter was the one. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter was the one that actually said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And yet when Jesus was hauled away, beaten and put in prison, Peter denied his Savior not once, not twice, but three times. Talk about an epic fail. Put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. This is is one of those moments where you say, what did I just do? You ever have one of those moments where you sin so badly, you screwed up so badly? I'll let that sit there for a moment. Think about your own story and testimony. And as a result of what you did, you felt like you let God down so deeply. I know I have. That's Peter's story. He's feeling tremendous shame, tremendous guilt. Uh, Luke, later on in this gospel, points out that when Jesus looked at Peter, and, and remember Peter hears the rooster crow, and what Peter would say that he would deny him three times. When, when Jesus looked at Peter, Luke points out that Peter wept bitterly. Bitterly. But I also want you to know the rest of the story. Because those same tears and shame that Peter felt were wiped away one morning over breakfast, as the Gospel of John reveals to us. John chapter 21, verse 15 says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these. He said to him, yes, He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know Everything, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So three times, Jesus asked him, do you love me? And three times, what does Peter say? Yes. But I want you to notice that 
that Jesus does not allow Peter to get away with lip service here. He says, you can say it with your lips, but to notice in that passage, he asked Peter to go do something. Go feed my sheep. Go tend my flock. Go, go take care of the people that I love. Church, real Christianity is not something that we simply say with our lips. It's something that we display with our lives. We have to live it out. It has to become an all-out devoted personal relationship with Jesus. Peter got that eventually. Peter was transformed by the grace of God. Saul got that eventually. He was transformed by the grace of God. Stephen even got it. He was transformed by the grace of God. The question for us this morning, for you personally, is have you been transformed by the grace of God? Has Jesus become personal to you? Have you acknowledged him to the point where what you believe internally is what is displayed publicly? Have you acknowledged him to the point where your Christianity just goes beyond merely lip service? Maybe for you the next step is to go public with your faith through baptism. As I said, we have people getting baptized for the first time this morning. What they're doing is publicly displaying publicly confessing, publicly speaking up for the truth of Jesus, that they believe that Jesus lived an upright life, a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose again three days later. And not only do they want to believe it here, but they want to live it out. That's why we're going to baptize them the way we do. They're going to go under the waters of baptism to lay down their wishes, their wants, their sin in the past, and be cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing them, transforming them into a new person. It's happened to them. Now they're going to publicly display that. And maybe for you, you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe your story is like my story. I was on church staff. I've been a Christian for 10 years, putting off this idea of baptism because I just didn't think I needed to do it. Until one, one day, one of my pastors said to me, Jeremy, how can God trust you with what's down the road if he can't trust you with the very first step that he's asked you to take? And baptism is one of the very first steps. Believe and be baptized. And yet, I don't know, if you're like me, sometimes we put even the simplest things off. Or maybe for you, you're, you're new. We got some young people being baptized today. Maybe you're young in the faith, young in age as well, and you heard that Jesus' command, I love the children's faith, right? Jesus' command is to be baptized, and so their reaction is, okay, let's do it. And so they do it. My encouragement to you would be, don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer. Hopefully, by, by the grace of God, Lord willing, we'll have an opportunity for people to get baptized on Easter. And so if that's you and you would like to be baptized, please let us know on your connection card and one of the campus pastors will follow up with you. We'd love to be able to celebrate with you on Easter Sunday. Wouldn't we, church? Let's do it. Maybe uh, for some of you, this is me personally. This is my next step. Um, as I was praying about this passage, maybe for you, your next step is to be a lot more intentional about um, having conversations with people who don't know Jesus. I'm being intentional about creating gospel-centered conversations with people that don't go to church, that don't love Jesus, but you've befriended them. See, for me, I, I'm very intentional about creating relationships with people who are not Christian. It's, it's the getting to the conversation point that, I, that I'm, I need to be a little bit more urgent on. 
And so if you're like me, and God is convicting and speaking through this passage in that regard, let's do that, church. Um, There ain't enough people in here this morning. There's not enough people at the other camps. I don't even know what your attendance is today. It's not enough. you got thousands of other people in your community that need to hear the grace of Jesus. And I can preach it till I'm blue in the face. But you're going to go out as missionaries to your world, to your community with the gospel, with a lifestyle that says Jesus is real and you can make a difference. No way for me to preach the gospel. Go do it. Let's have some gospel-centered conversations. And and then maybe for some of you, your next step is to simply respond to Jesus' offer for forgiveness for the first time. Um, There may be some people here today who are believing a lie that God cannot forgive them because of a sin that's in their past. And I know that's true because I've had so many conversations as a pastor throughout the years where someone will come to me in counseling and say, I'm really struggling whether or not I'm, I'm forgiven. I, I feel this shame. And then they, then they explain what they did. And it's like, wow, you, your heart breaks for them because of the burden that they've been carrying for all these years. A divorce. An abortion. And your heart breaks for these people. Because they're questioning the truth of what this passage is all about. And you desperately want them to know it. And I want you guys to know it today. That the promise of this passage is this. No matter what your past. You can speak a word against the son of man. Both in your words and in your deeds. And the promise of this passage is. You can still turn to Jesus and be forgiven. Crossed on, I'll, I'll confess, I'm, as, I'm probably as messed up as any person in this room today. When I look at my life and my story, I know I need grace. I know I need a Savior. But I want you to understand that my hope for forgiveness is not in the fact that I'm a pastor. I read my Bible. My hope in forgiveness is not in the fact that I'm a part of a church that's planted a lot of other churches. My hope is not because I want to help other people and serve them. My only hope in forgiveness is in this Jesus that we just read about, who has the power and the authority to forgive Peter, to forgive Saul. And I'm thinking today, church, if he can forgive Peter, who denied him not once, not twice, but three times, and he can forgive a guy like Saul who is killing Christians, then maybe, maybe there's some hope for you and me, right? When you look at our church, we're probably going to look a whole lot more like Peter and Saul than anyone else, right? Hopefully a little bit more like Peter than Saul. We don't want people killing people. Um, But hey, you know, everyone's welcome. Anything's possible, right? But when we do stumble and when we do struggle, let's be the first to run to the cross for forgiveness. And if you've never done that before, If you've never done that before, then maybe today is your day. You have the opportunity right now to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead. And you're not going to just say it with your lips. God is doing something in your heart so that you'll want to live it out 
with your life. Not by your power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're sensing today that God is drawing your heart to himself, uh, at all of our locations, I want you to close your eyes, everybody, and bow your head. I'm going to lead you through a prayer that I'll say out loud, and I want you to say it silently to yourself, but I don't want you just to, just to say it to say it. I want you to make this personal. I want this to be a prayer that you remember for the rest of your life, that you cry out to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and ask him to come into your life to remove the, the shame, the guilt, so that you know without a shadow of a doubt because of your confession and your acknowledgement of who Jesus is, you can stand before God the Father one day and be, for, be forgiven. Be declared guilt-free. Not because of who you are, but because of God that you serve. And so if that's your heart's cry this morning, I just pray something like this to yourself as I pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, I'm hearing your word today. It's very clear that if anyone would acknowledge me before men, that you would acknowledge us before the angels of God, before God himself. And on judgment day, we could be declared innocent, free, pure, forgiven. And so Jesus, we ask that you would remove the guilt, that you would remove my sin and make me clean and give me the power to live for you from this moment forward. Help me live out my faith, not just with my words, but with my life, that it would be a personal, devoted, all-out relationship with you, Jesus. And it's in your precious name I ask this. Amen. The good news is there's a party going on right now in heaven if one of you prayed that prayer. That's, that's pretty cool. And I believe it. I've been praying for that. When the gospel is preached, God is moving, and I think God is going to move in someone's heart today. And so if you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ, would you do me a favor on the back side of your connection card? In fact, everybody might have a next step if you could pull that out and uh, get ready to put any prayer requests on. But if you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ, do me a favor on the back side. Uh, check that first next step that says, I want to receive Christ for the first time. We'd love to follow up with you. At the end of the service, hand that to one of the ushers or greeters, or there's a box out in the foyer uh, that you can drop that in. Uh, during the week, our campus pastors will follow up with you and uh, give you a Bible if you don't have one, answer any questions that you might have, but we'd love to be able to celebrate that next step. Wouldn't we, church? I know I would. I want to invite our worship teams to come forward as they lead us uh, in song and, and, and worship. And uh, appreciate you guys. I'm going to pray for everyone else. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word. It's like honey to our lips, Lord. We need this. We need to be reminded, not just on a daily basis of how guilty we are, but how gracious you are. There's probably some people here today, Lord, as well, that um, have confessed. Perhaps even was, they were baptized. But they've wandered. They've walked away. Pray that this message would be a convicting message to draw their heart back to you. That they would take seriously their call to discipleship, their call to daily repentance, 
They're called to walk with you, and when we walk with you, as we've looked at today, sometimes people aren't going to be excited about that. Sometimes there will be resistance, and maybe that's where we've started to wander, Lord. So I pray that your conviction would come into our life, that we would learn to live for you full out, wholehearted, fully devoted in our love for you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.